Talk Radio 96.7, just past 8 o'clock on a Thursday night, and that means, yes, it's time to leap headfirst into the Ozone. The Ozone with Ronnie O and Coach Joe. The Ozone tonight brought to you by Allied Scrap Processors, turning scrap metal into cash, and by... Foshi Jewelers, your one-stop jewelry store. All right, Ronnie O and Coach Joe in the Ozone. We're talking sports. Give us a call, 682-1430. That's 682-1430. We are here. We're talking sports. We'll talk what you want to talk about, so give us a call. If you're technologically inclined, you can reach us at ozone at hallradio.net. That's ozone at hallradio.net. So, Coach Joe, a lot of stuff going on. NFL draft coming up and uh, heard an interesting perspective today on why they no longer value running backs the way that they used to. And uh, I thought it made a lot of sense what they were talking about in that the life of an NFL running back is pretty short-lived because of the injury factor. And so teams no longer want to take a, a generational-type talent running back in the very first round they prefer to get them later in, in the round. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, I, I think back to those Auburn running backs, Carnell Williams and Ronnie Brown, getting who were drafted in the top ten. Uh, Ricky Williams was drafted really high. Uh, but, you know, that's that's what 20, 25 years you're going back for, for the last time that running backs were high-value draft picks. Uh, they're, just, they're just not. I think for a lot, a lot of ways people just do think that you can – First off, uh, the the running game isn't the same in the NFL as it used to be. You know, it's it's passing first, and then you you want somebody who can run the ball, and you want a good running back, but you don't depend on it. Or most teams don't. Uh, you don't have the two back system anymore. Most of them use only one back at a time. So you want good solid running back, but you don't necessarily need a star, or and you don't see the breakaway runs the way you used to. So uh, yeah, I mean that's where the position got devalued a little bit. Although although. You think of somebody like Christian McCaffrey, how valuable he is, and how much he helped San Francisco out. But also, but not just as a runner, as a receiver now. So you need kind of the dual threat, and it's just uh, I don't know. Uh, there's some talk there might be a top ten running back this year. Yeah, Bijan Robinson out of Texas. Yeah, he's highly ranked. He's getting a lot of ink, and uh, you know I watched him play, and I think he's excellent. But I, I don't know that I. It seems to be overhyped to me. I. I thought the guy was really good, but I'm not sure he's a generational type talent. He he's not Earl Campbell. Well, I know you know following the Dolphins that uh, they they talked about should we get a running back you know or, or trade up to get a running back because uh, they they traded their first round pick to get Tyreek Hill, and the general consensus is no they've got uh, guys like Mostert and uh, Wilson who um, were good solid professional backs who can who can do what they want and they don't need to to uh, spend big draft capital, big money on a rookie running back. And, and you know, you're right. Is he really a generational talent? I, I, I'm i not seeing that either. I mean, I'm sure he'll be a decent player. But uh, you think of the generational running backs nowadays. I, I mentioned McCaffrey. It's I'm hard-pressed to tell you another superstar all-timer uh, out there right now uh, either in college or the pro right now, who, who, as a running back, who could who could you could say, oh, he's going to be one of the greats of all time. Well, and you hit a good point too that if you can't catch the football at the backfield, then you really diminish your value to a team because it's all about passing, throwing the football these days. And we got a little breaking news here, a little 
Nope. A little something Ooh. that um, I gathered last week talking to Tommy Townsend. I don't know that I haven't seen this out there, that he is a restricted free agent. And Hello. so he might not be back with the Chiefs next year. That's, so, that's interesting. As I understand it, they can match any offer if if he gets an offer. And that's what a restricted free agent is, right? Uh, yes, yes. That means yeah, they, they can match it. It's always interesting with kickers and punters. You yeah. know, it's a specialty position. It's an important one. But it's also one where teams look to try to save money. You know, yes. I've seen them move perfectly good kickers like Ryan Suckup. He's he's not going to be with the Bucks anymore because they can get younger, less expensive kickers. Ideally, somebody who's just as good. But who who do these veteran kickers get? It, what teams are attracted to them? It's going to be teams that we, we just don't have a good kicker, and we're a great team if we have a good <laughs> kicker. You know, like the Chiefs are a great team if they didn't didn't have a good punter, that would hurt them a lot. And then Townsend's a great punter. So he could end up anywhere, you know. But although the the Bucks are pretty happy with their young punter, so I don't know if he'll end up here. Yeah, the Jags and the Bucks don't look like an opportunity. What about the Dolphins? Uh, maybe they uh, they have had a new they had a new punter the last couple of years who's 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 good, you know. But uh, uh, Townsend is good too. It's it's really uh, I you know where they're more likely to look for the, the Dolphins. They're they're sort of kind of down a little bit on Jason Sanders. Uh, who's who was great two years ago, and he was just good this last last year. And so immediately, you know, uh, you saw this with Caleb Sturgis and so many other kickers down the line. They're great for two, three, four years, and then and then um, well, now they're just good, and we're going to bring in somebody younger and cheaper. So yeah, younger uh, and cheaper. But they're more likely to get a new place kicker at the Dolphins than a punter. Yeah, you're exactly right, and 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 that's what and Tommy understands the business nature of football in the NFL and. You know, he's, he's been there. I think he's won two Super Bowls since he's been there. So, you know, he's starting to make a little money, and that's when the team starts saying, ah, we can probably find somebody cheaper. Yeah, yeah, but, but he's good, and so he should be valuable to some, some team out there if, if the Chiefs uh, decide not to keep him. I don't know, though. I think, I think he'll, when all's said and done, he'll, he'll be back with Kansas City. He may well be. I don't understand how his brother, Johnny, hasn't hooked up with somebody you know, I mean, it, it seems to me that it's basically the same job from college to NFL. And Johnny Townsend was, I think he set an NFL or an NCAA record for the highest punting average in a year. I think it's been broken since then, but you know, he was just a tremendous punter at Florida. Well, it's the same job and the same talent and the same skill set. The difference is they're just of very few <laughs> available positions. There's yeah. only 32 NFL teams. And you hit it money. And there's uh, 100, 100 good college punters. Yeah, yeah and, that's true. Uh, plus all the guys who are already been in the league for several years. So yeah. it's a numbers game, really. Yeah, no doubt about mm -hmm. it. Well, um, we'll have to see what happens. And, uh, you know, everybody wants to see where Anthony Richardson's going. And, you know, I've heard everything from, well, he's not even going to go in the first round to, he could be the first overall pick. You know, it's funny. These scouts, the longer it goes, the more fault they find with each of these guys. And they, they fall in love with a guy, and it's almost like they're fans picking. I'm not sure that you couldn't get a group of fans and to pick, and they'd, it'd turn out about the same way. Well, it, and it's so interesting looking at the different quarterbacks. Right now, and this could be – Oh, entirely different by the time we're on next week when the draft will be going on. 
But everybody's saying now that Bryce Young is going to be the top pick. And that uh, Will Levis, who, if you'd asked me a week or two ago, I was saying was free-falling off the draft board. Now he's like the next best guy yeah. on there. <laughs> yeah. and, and right now, the last thing I read like a few minutes ago was that Anthony Richardson looking to be the Texans' pick to, because they need a quarterback, and they've got a uh, – I think they're actually picking second. So he'd actually go in front of Levis if, if that happened, right? If the uh, Houston, Houston had the second pick because they won their last game, I think. They <laughs> got their coach fired by winning their last game. <laughs> <laughs> that reminds me, Tom Dempsey's field goal cost the Saints the first overall pick. And uh, I mean, it, it wouldn't have probably wouldn't have made any difference because I think they ended up with the second pick and they picked Archie Manning, which they would have picked anyway if they'd had the first pick. And uh, it cost them Jim Plunkett. So I think they were better off because Plunkett couldn't run and Manning could, and they were so bad back then. Yeah, imagine if uh, Plunk or uh, Archie Manning ended up at New England, but they were awful as well back then. Yeah. You know, although they got good by the mid seventies for under Chuck Fairbanks for a while, and then when they they weren't going mostly with Steve Grogan at quarterback then, yeah. <laughs> he could run. He had about a six foot neck. Yeah, <laughs> I remember his helmet looked like it was not even attached to the rest of his body. It was so. Well, long. running quarterbacks were big in the seventies. You know, yeah. Bobby Douglas, Grogan was a running quarterback. Greasy was until he got hurt. Then he's kind of he he's, he ran a lot less after that. Uh, <laughs> but but every quarterback was a runner. Fran Tarkenton, Staubach. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, nowadays they're rare and it, they're discouraged now. Greg Landry. Greg Landry. Oh, he was yeah. a great runner. Oh yeah, yeah. He was yeah. one of the best. <laughs> well, let's go ahead and take a break. When we come back, we've got an interview with Georgia Southern's golf coach Carter Collins. He had a kid play in the Masters. He'll tell us all about it. You're listening to Ronnie O and Coach Joe in the Ozone on Talk Radio 96.7 WLKF. Hi, everyone. This is Jimmy Giles, former Pro Bowl tight end for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You're listening to Ronnie O and Coach Joe in the Ozone. Ozone. Oh, yeah. Talk Radio 96.7 presents the Ozone every Thursday, brought to you by Foshi Jewelers, your one-stop jewelry store, and by Allied Scrap Processors, turning scrap metal into cash. Now, earlier this afternoon, Ronnie O and Coach Joe caught up with Carter Collins. All right. It's our distinct pleasure to have with us Carter Collins, the golf coach at Georgia Southern for the Golden Eagles. He's been a three-time coach of the year, and this year... At the Masters, you may have picked up that his golfer, Ben Carr, was the second amateur there. He had earned his way by finishing second in the U.S. amateur to the guy who finished as the low amateur at the Masters, Sam Bennett. Coach, tell us a little bit about Ben Carr. Ronnie, thank you for having me and being able to talk about Georgia Southern. Um, Ben's a very special person and competitor. You know, He's a 3.3 GPA cumulative uh, for his entire career. He's been a team captain for three years now. Um, very, very special person to our program. And what he was able to accomplish last summer, finishing runner-up at USAM, was very well-deserved, and that led to a burst at the Masters, which was an incredible experience for not just him, but for everybody that follows and supports him. So uh, he, he played well, which is a, you know, a cherry on top for that whole week. But, you know, to see, you know, a, a Georgia Southern guy and a in that field at Augusta, teeing it up with, with everybody. He played with Bernhard Longer and Mito Pereira the first day. And to, to watch that unfold was just magical. It was a great week. 
I understand there was a lot of Georgia Southern fans there. I read where he got a lot of Gator, which is um, a saying up there in Statesboro, and um, a lot of go Golden Eagles. So he was well-respected and well-received up there. Yes, sir. There was tons of support there. Um, you know, we're not too far from there, about an hour, 20, hour, 30 to Augusta National from, from Statesboro. So um, I think a lot of people that have gone in the past were had it circled on their calendar to definitely be there this year. And there was tons of Georgia Southern hats, jackets, shirts, a lot of Hell Southerns, a lot of Go Eagles. It was a it was a special week for all the support, but uh, even more special week for Ben and all that he accomplished. Wow. Well, Georgia Southern has quite a connection to Lakeland, and I'm sure you're well aware of that. Mm. But for our listeners, the Jeff Chandler Memorial Golf Outing, uh, arranged by Mark Martin and some of the other guys here who are mm-hmm. Georgia Southern graduates, has been going over for over 20 years. And has raised over $103,000 for Georgia Southern Golf. Talk yes, a little bit about what you know about that golf tournament. Wow, what a phenomenal group of people. Um, so there was this group of people around the Lakeland area that all went to Georgia Southern. Some played sports, some didn't. None of them played golf. Um, and one of the common things that brought them together was uh, the passing of one of their friends, Mr. Jeff Chandler. Um, and so they got together every year after he passed to kind of celebrate his life and to get together as friends and tell some more stories and and they started to pass around the hat in the early years just to make a donation and uh from from what i've heard from mark that they kind of looked around the room they're like, well where do we send the money i go well you know he went to georgia southern that's okay then where and I'm like, well he loved golf so let's just send it to the golf team so without one a real direct connection to the program they passed around the hat the first few years and in totality they've donated over a hundred thousand dollars to the men's golf program at Georgia Southern. The impact that they have made on this program is, you know, the ripples will be felt for years and years and years from the impact that they've made into this program and to the lives of these student-athletes. Um, and we're forever grateful to that group. Um, I've been down there and played with them a couple times. Um, they're just a fun-loving group. They love getting together and tell some stories, and um, and they, they love supporting Georgia Southern and specifically Georgia Southern golf. So. Uh, a lot of what's been accomplished here at Georgia Southern, uh, you know, we owe a lot to the to the group down there, the Jeff Chandler Memorial Golf Outing. So they've we've they've always got a special place in our heart. No doubt. Um, you know, we really appreciate you coming on. I understand you grew up around golf, and uh, the amazing thing to me is you told me you shot sixty on a par seventy two course from the next to the back tees. Is that correct? Uh, that that is that was a while ago, but uh, yes, sir, I got lucky one day. <laughs> I don't care if it was a hundred years ago. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I, I would have I would be hard pressed to shoot sixty on a Goonie golf course. <laughs> uh, yeah, I used to play yeah, a, on an executive course when I was a kid. It was a par sixty. I had trouble shooting sixty on that. Too. <laughs> it's an infuriating sport. It's nice that you can remember the good times because it helps you get through all the bad times that come with golf. So um, it's nice to think about the good rounds every now and then. It makes you feel feel better. Uh, Carter, this is Coach Joe here. Can I ask you a couple of questions about the state of the of the game of golf? Uh, you know, yes, we sir. just had a terrific Masters up up uh, in mm-hmm. Georgia uh, last week, and uh, there's there's two seemingly two big issues in the world of golf. The pace of play is too slow, and the golf ball is too fast. Now, let's, I wanted to ask you about the ball. All this talk about the equipment and um, sizing it down, so to speak, for the pros. How would that affect college golf if that if that comes to pass? 
You know, those are great questions. Uh, the golf ball is an interesting one because there's so much left to unfold. I think the main piece of that is does the PGA of America and the RNA join with USGA and unilaterally pass that as a rule that, you know, a blanket, they're going to size down the golf ball. And then if they do, there still needs to be agreement between the PGA Tour, you know, you got Live Tour, DP World Tour, and maybe there's a different rule for pro golf more than amateur golf. Um, me personally, I would like to see everything stay the way it is, maybe cap it to where it can't progress a ton more in the future. Um, maybe put a limit on where it is now, but it's really tough to turn back time. And all these golf courses were built with the knowledge of these golf balls can fly a long ways. Um, and I think, I think you're, I think they're trying to control a little bit too much of the game at that point. I think let them play. You still have to chip. You still have to putt. You still have to have course management to win tournaments. Um, so I think the competition is still as strong as ever. And I don't know if it's broke, so I'm not sure they should try and fix it. Um, in regards to pace of play, that definitely is an issue. Um, the, the troubling part of pace of play is it only takes a couple of guys in an entire field to slow down the whole tournament. And you can have everybody doing what they're supposed to do, but if one or two guys are taking advantage of the pace of play policy, then it can affect everybody. So um, I think the only answer to that, in my opinion, is just you got to be consistent with the penalties um, and increase them for repeat offenders. And eventually, you know, the message will get sent and um, I think everybody will get on the same page. But, um, you know, those are two very glaring issues right now, especially with the, the Patrick Cantlay stuff at the Masters and, and the USGA passing the, the ball rollback. So we'll, I'm very interested to see where both of those go in the future. You, you know, when you're coaching, uh, how do you address slow play uh, with your players? Um, great question. I think I think a lot of it comes, is it wasted time or is it purpose time? And I, I've had a guy on the team that was a pretty slow player, so I've had some experience with it. Um, and that was just his process. I mean, he had to go through it step by step by step by step. And that was just kind of how he operated. Um, and then I've had guys in the past that, that have been slow, but it was more from just wasting time, not being ready to hit their shot, not going through their routine before it was their turn to hit, and the little things, you know, finding a tee, finding your glove. Um, so that can be fixed. The, the first one is difficult to fix because that's how you operate. That's how you compete. Um, you know, you, you can't teach a, a bicycle to go as fast as a Ferrari. Um, it's, it's hard to kind of move in that direction. But I think if you do all the little things, as I mentioned, like being ready to hit your shot when it's your turn, um, you know, not so much waiting on, you know, the person to tee off who has honor on the first tee, getting up there if, it's, if it can help the pace of play. Doing all the little things right can help. But those are really two type of golfers, and we, we try and help both of them. Coach, what's the next big tournament coming up for the Eagles? Um, um, we leave on Saturday for our conference championship. Uh, we're in the Sun Belt Conference, which is mainly a Southeast U.S. conference. Uh, it's very deep this year. We have more top 100 teams than ever. Um, and we're playing this year in Annandale Golf Club in Madison, Mississippi. It's a new site for everybody. Um, we're interested to see how it's going to play during the conference tournament. But we leave Saturday and compete Monday through Thursday of next week. Coach, Georgia Southern is a Division One team, which means you're going to have to compete against the Floridas, Oklahoma States, Houstons, all of these great programs around the country. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about recruiting. How do you go out and how do you choose the guys that you're going to spend money on to recruit? 
Great question. So uh, we have a very simple recruiting formula here. We look for the best student we can possibly find. It's somebody that cares about academics and wants to graduate with a great degree uh, in the field that they're interested in. And then we look for the best person we can find. That's somebody that's going to enhance this program. They're going to push their teammates in a positive way. They're going to push their coaching staff in a positive way. And they're going to get the most out of themselves and the people around them. And then after those two filters are applied, we look for the best golfers we can possibly find. Um, and we really take our time. We're pretty slow recruiters because um, we feel like Statesboro, Georgia, and Georgia Southern is a very, very special place. And, and it deserves the best, best golfers and quality people that we can find. So that's our formula. It's, it's nothing, uh, you know, it's not a nothing deep thinking. It's, it's just pretty simple. And we just look for the best people, best academic, best golfers combined. Coach, uh, you have a promising player, potential pro. Do you encourage them to go the path of the PGA or the LIV? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure. I mean, it, it really depends on the situation because I think the question mark with the LIV tour is how long will it be here? So if these young players who probably have 20, 25 years of, of a professional career ahead of them, if they jump onto a tour that may not be here in two or three years, then what does that look like? Are they banned from all PGA events for their life? And I think there's some questions that have to be answered um, with that. But assuming Liv hangs around for a while, I think, you know, there's some great opportunities to get some upfront money and get your pro career started where PGA is more, you got to cut your teeth and earn your money on the back end. Um, but if, if somebody's not afraid to travel and, you know, LIV makes some, uh, makes some offers here or there, um, I think that's a great one to consider. Um, but definitely the PGA Tour is more, you know, if you don't want to travel as much internationally, you can compete a lot in America and play in some money qualifiers. I think PGAs are out. So it, it just depends on the person, their background, and kind of what they're heading towards. Coach, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Coach Carter yes, Collins sir. of the Golden Thanks, Eagles of Georgia Southern, we appreciate it, and best of luck in your conference tournament. Coach Joe and Ronnie, thank you all for having me, and go Eagles. All right, go Eagles. Jumping back headfirst straight into the Ozone. Talk Radio 96.7, the Ozone brought to you by Allied Scrap Processors, turning scrap metal into cash, and by Foshi Jewelers, your one-stop jewelry store. All right, Ronnie O and Coach Joe back in the Ozone. That was a fun interview with Carter Collins, the Georgia Southern golf coach, real nice guy. And, uh, you know, you look at his picture – and he looks like he's just a kid, but he's been there 16 years. Wow, it's an amazing record he's got going there, and good luck in their conference tournament. It inspired me to look up to see uh, how it's going at the SCC men's golf tournament, which is going on this weekend at Sea Island, Georgia. Texas A&M is in first place. Uh, the Gators are in third. Alabama's in second. Now, that has—this uh, is round two was today, round one yesterday, and round three tomorrow is all stroke play. And then over the week, and so the individual SEC champions will be determined uh, then, and the top eight teams will advance to match play over the weekend, team match play over the weekend to determine the team SEC champion. And if you're wondering about Sam Bennett from Texas A&M, who, who was the low am at the Masters, he had a 65 on yesterday, not so good today, 74. He's fallen all the way down to 22nd. So uh, it looks like he's not going to follow up his Masters Cup with uh, – <laughs> an SEC title, individual title, but uh, still interesting going on there. Sea Island, Georgia, it's a great, great place for golf. 
you know, you and I were talking about this. I think it's hard for an average person to grasp the kind of money that there is in pro sports. I just saw this. I'd like to grasp. Some oh of yeah, the I'd like to grasp a lot of it. I mean, you got to have Eric Clark type money to be able to grasp these figures. You know, this, what are we grabbing money now? <laughs> <laughs> uh, John Carlos Stanton has missed forty-one percent of the Yankees' games in four years. He's making thirty-two million a year, and it's guaranteed through twenty twenty-seven. He's got a 264 batting average and got 382 home runs. And here's what gets him in trouble. In 2017, when he was with the Marlins, he was the NL MVP, hit 59 home runs. Great year. And, you know, chances are he's never going to do that again. And it's looking that way. But that's what they're paying for is what he did in the past. And here's another guy, Madison Bumgarner. You know, this guy is not only a great pitcher, was a great pitcher. And I was really carrying the Giants. And the Diamondbacks, this is how you get bad. They signed a 30-year-old pitcher back then to $20 million contracts. He's got a 10.26 ERA this year. And they're gonna, they've designated him for assignment. And they're going to have to eat $20 million this year, $14 million next year of his salary. Yeah, he has been struggling. He got shelled the other night by the, by the resurgent Marlins. Good job, guys. They've got over 500. Keep an eye on them. Ronnie's saying that now. <laughs> but, yeah, somebody can get him really cheap, and somebody will. Although uh, it, he may, you know, he was so good. What was it, about eight, nine years ago for the Giants? I mean, yeah. he was he was amazing, both as a uh, pitcher and a hitter. But, uh, yeah, his fastball isn't very fast right now, and there's not a whole lot of movement on it either. And he's been getting shelled lately. So, you know, uh, it, it's it, – some careers are longer than others. We'll have to see how it goes. But I think he's going to get a chance with somebody who needs pitching because everybody needs pitching. Oh, yeah. How about those Rays? 16-3 and three to start the season, 842 winning percentage. Their hitting is incredible. Man, Just if they don't score eight runs a game, it's probably rain-shortened. You know? <laughs> the way they're going, they, they stumbled a, a little bit by dropping two in a row in Toronto, but they quickly recovered and – uh, one, uh, three out of their next four, including two out of three in Cincinnati. So yeah, with back-to-back shutouts. Yeah, yeah. I think the eight nothing was the most recent one, which they're they they really are on fire. Uh, I remember 1984 when the Detroit Tigers went 35 and five to start the season. Yes. Probably the Rays won't be able to match that. They might come close. Well, here's a cautionary tale. Oh no, not yeah, that. <laughs> yeah. The, the the Rays matched the record of 13 straight wins by the 82 Braves and the 87 Brewers. Neither one of those teams won the World Series. No. I think they – well, I know the, the – Tigers Bra- did. The Braves made the playoffs with Phil Necro back in 82, but uh, yeah. after a long drought, Dale Murphy and those guys. But uh, 87 Brewers, uh, trying to remember – well, they would have lost to the Cardinals, the, div- yes. the division probably. So they. I, probably, no, I think they played in the World Series. I think did they lose to the Twins? Yeah. The Cardinals did. did no. Yeah, yeah. The, the Brewers. Cardinals. The Brewers lost to the Cardinals in '82. The Brewer. That's the only time the Brewers have made the World Series. I guess they were still in the American League in '87. So uh, they wouldn't have been battling the Cardinals for the pennant. But it was the Twins they would have been battling, and uh, they would have come up on the short end in that. Or was wait? Do you remember Ronnie in the '80s? Milwaukee. What division were they in? 
There was, I guess, only an East and a West back then, right? Yeah. Um, so they would have been uh, an Eastern team, probably, in the American League. I'm trying to think because we had the 87 World Series MVP on a long, long time ago, the left-handed pitcher that he was from New England, but he pitched for the Twins, uh, Frank Viola. Very good, Eric. Yeah, the Clarkster. Saying, How about hey, the Clarkster? studying. <laughs> I'm telling you. Yeah. Well, a that, voice from above. <laughs> the, the 87 uh, series was known because the home team won every game. That was They played in the uh, uh, that dome, Metrodome, yeah. in, Min- in Minneapolis, which the uh, Twins couldn't lose there. Uh, but they couldn't win in St. Louis either. It was, happened to be an American League year. They, they, they rotated it back then. It had nothing to do with record or all-star game or anything like that. Uh, I remember Frank Viola, though. He was that was good. Kirby Puckett and um, mm-hmm. Kent Herbeck on that team? Yeah. Yeah, Kirby Puckett, I believe, hit a critical home run in Game 6 that sent the series to Game 7. What a tragic yeah. life he had. Great guy. And he lost his vision, and then he just passed away early, didn't he? Yeah, he did have some some really tough tough breaks uh, along the way. But he was he was extremely exciting player. Loved watching him roam the outfield and hit. Oh yeah, we got a caller with us, Walt. Hey, how are you, sir? I'm did you wake good. up? Did we wake you up? And what are we saying that's wrong, Walt? Because I I, I, think I I got a feeling we messed up somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> No, well, it took me a second. I had to hold the phone. All that hot air coming through the line. <laughs> no. We try. Well, we try to keep Eric off the phone. Well, you brought Thanks, up a guys. I mean, Eric, Eric is correcting us tonight. So yeah. <laughs> well, I hear Eric keeps a lot of fire extinguishers around with you two in the same room. <laughs> you never know what's going to combust. <laughs> hey, I got to tell you a story about 1983. I was uh, my. Well, I guess three of us went up to Atlanta to see the Braves play the Pirates. The first night we're there, um, Dave Parker hits a line drive, goes foul. A friend of ours tries to catch it, and it broke five bones in his hand. Ooh. It was so hard. Anything they use gloves. (laughs) Yeah. The Cobra. Phil, Phil Necro. The next day was pitching a fabulous game and went into the eighth inning, leading three to nothing. Well, Bobby Cox pulls him. <laughs> they lose the game four to three. <laughs> We're leaving the stadium, and this really nice car pulls up by us, and this guy's beating the crap out of the steering wheel, and it's Negro. Oh, <laughs> he was he he let it carry all the way out into the parking lot. <laughs> Negro had waited a long time to pitch in the postseason, and to have that happen was kind of a bad luck for him too. Did he have a yeah. picture of Bobby Cox on the steering wheel? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. He may have had a couple umpires. It seemed like Negro had problems with because the way that knuckler would come in and drop. Some of them would call him balls, and he would <laughs> oh. He would get. Uh, he probably had a couple of their pictures right on the steering wheel. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, I thought when you brought that up, it brought back up some memories. So, but uh, hey, have you been I, have you been following the Rays this year? Well, how they're doing? Oh yeah, yeah. Do you, do you like the pitch clock? Ronnie and I, you know, Ronnie put the old in old school. I mean, no yeah. doubt. But I love the pitch clock because it I puts the game at the pace that we were used to watching back in the 80s and 70s. 
Well, you know, um, what you said about the the pay, that, that's part of the problem. You know, it's just like you say, you get a young guy out, he spends three or four years working up through the minors, so he's about, you know, if he didn't come out of college early, he's 25, 26, and he's earning his money. Uh, let's jump over to um, football. With all these side contracts, I read where Arch Manning is actually has made more money than minimum wage rookies in Major League, in the NFL, rather. He and probably made more money than his dad did when he was a rookie in the NFL. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, and I have a problem, and we, we could continue this with golf. I kind of know what the LIV is doing, and they bring these young guys in. But, again, they may be shooting themselves in the foot. And I, I just always believe that when you put a player out there a little bit hungry, he's going to fight for that win. Now, whether he can beat the, you know, the, the older guys on the tour that are still playing well, you know, you still got to go through that process. And I know some rookies come through and win. But when you walk in and here's you a check for whatever, Two three million dollars. Well, got about thirty seconds. Yeah, you know what uh, was it? Lee Trevino used to say uh, when he talked about pressure. He said real pressure is, you know, uh, putting for a ten dollar Nassau and you only have five dollars in your pocket. That's right. That's right. <laughs> exactly. So. Well, hey, thanks it was as great always talking to you guys, and you know, I'll 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 keep calling in to pester you too. Now, Eric, I kind of treat with kid gloves because. <laughs> You know, well, when you got looks that kind like of money. <laughs> the baby-faced Eric Clark, no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> well, because he looks and acts like a child, you know, you, what you got to do. Oh, oh, oh. Now just stop it, Walt, stop oh, it. Oh, oh. Walt, we appreciate it, and um, we need to go to break. And uh, you're listening right, to Ronnie care. O with Coach Joe and the Ozone on Talk Radio 96.7 WLKF. Hey there, this is James Bates, linebacker for the 1996 National Champion Florida Gators. You're listening to Ronnie O and Coach Joe in the Ozone. What else would you be doing on a Thursday night? I mean, come on. The Ozone with Ronnie O and Coach Joe. Brought to you by Foshi Jewelers, your one-stop jewelry store. And by Allied Scrap Processors of Lakeland. All right, Ronnie O and Coach Joe, you know the deal right now. You're hungry, you're thirsty, you cannot wait. The number is 682-1430 if you haven't won in the last six months, and we have a list. So don't try and sneak one in on us. The legendary Clarkster, he's our bouncer. He will take no business. So here you go. Eric remembers everything. That's right. Today is Steve Spurrier's 78th birthday. The head ball coach. After the 1967 season, or 66 season, he was drafted in the NFL third overall. What team drafted him in the NFL? Or you can tell us who has the first draft pick this year in the NFL. 682-1430. What you will win is you can go out and eat at Miller's Lakeland Ale House, 5650 South Florida Avenue. And they will take $30 off your tab after you eat. So there you go. 
682-1430. I think Mel Kuyper that year uh, rated in his mock draft in 1966. <laughs> I guess it would have been 67. But Steve Spurrier, late first round, but it worked out much better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We got a caller already. Man, we must have made that way too easy. But we want somebody to win. Um, I think Coach Joe and I could probably fool you for a little while. There's not too much you can't look up, but we could come up with some pretty good ones. And uh, But we don't want to do that. We want somebody to win. Besides, we want to send you out to the alehouse and let you see just how good it really is out there. Yeah, we try never to come up with a question that we don't already know the answer to. to be, yeah, All right, we got a caller. Who's hungry and thirsty? Bronson, how are you tonight? Hungry and thirsty. Ah, oh, that's what we yeah. like to hear. That's what we like to hear. Which question do you want to answer? Uh, the Steve Spurrier one. All right. I believe it was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Oh, no. No, he I did play for the Bucs. <laughs> yeah, I, I know, know you're answer, kidding, Bronson. I, I, I that was not. Use another guess. You know, that was uh, 1976 uh, that he played for the Bucks. Yeah, but yeah, he had yeah. been he had been in the league. He got for a beaten while, up then. pretty badly. You can call back. Though. I was kidding about Mel Kiper too. He 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 actually had Spurrier rated much higher in that dra- uh, mock draft. Yep. <laughs> That's all right. We appreciate you listening, Bronson, and you can call back if you want to. So we got another caller that's hungry and thirsty. They want to go out there and watch those 40 strategically located television sets and take advantage of those drink and meal specials every night of the week. It's great food, great prices, great atmosphere. But you know what's really great about the Ale House is the people there. They are yes. so kind, and they treat us so well. I'm, I'm there at least a couple times a week because uh, uh, it's just that wonderful place to just go and, and hang out. Great for families, too. It's Terrific place. Have they erected your statue yet? <laughs> yeah, no, they got a, a picture of me on the wall, but I'm not sure that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm not talking about the post office. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, them too. Right? <laughs> oh, man. That's why well, we, we do we... radio. And I don't want to be seen. <laughs> All right, Gonzalo, how you doing, man? Hey, Ronnie, how you doing? Fantastic. I know you're hungry and thirsty, brother. Yeah, definitely, definitely hungry and thirsty. What NFL team drafted Steve Spurrier? San Francisco 49ers. Yeah, you're exactly right. He had to sit behind John Brody, one of the all-time greats. Yep, exactly. He also exactly. had George Myra back then. Yeah. yeah. You, you know, I think the Dolphins wanted Spurrier, you know, with the Florida connection and everything, and they were a new team. And when San Francisco took him, the Dolphins sort of settled for that other guy, uh, Bob yeah. uh, Greasy, I think his name was. You ever hear of him? <laughs> you know, I've yeah. often wondered what would have happened had those two roles been reversed because Greasy would not have beaten out John Brody. I don't think any kid out of college was going to no. beat him out. He retired as the fifth leading passer of all time. And, um, yeah. Spurrier was mainly a punter. He did have that one year, I think it was 71, where he threw like 18 touchdown passes and led him to the brink of the playoffs, I think. Maybe it was 72. One of those years where he – and then Brody came back, I think, and took him the rest of the way. Yeah. The, in 1970, right. I think, uh, was a pretty good year for Spurrier. Or 72. Or I know he was a starter in, for a while in 73, I think, a little bit for the 49ers. It kind of came and went. A little bit, yeah. With that, but uh, you know, Greasy was raw too. He needed the right coaching. He was uh, kind of a hit or miss until Shula came along. And Shula's, you know, great track record with quarterbacks. And he he turned Greasy from just some sort of uh, freelancer into a polished, uh, disciplined quarterback. Who do you root for, Gonzalo? 
In football? Yeah. Um, I, I used to be mostly Baltimore, believe it or not, Baltimore. Oh, me too. Oh, me big, too. Big old smile yeah. you put on Ronnie's <laughs> face, man. <laughs> yeah, yep. I, I was Baltimore Colts fan for a long time, but really, you know, I've been watching the Bucks mostly. But you know, well, you, you remember this today is I think it was Mike Curtis's birthday. I think. Yeah, he, he was the guy who did. In the Super Bowl, who hit the guy going on the field? Remember, remember that? Yeah, it wasn't in the Mike Super Bowl. It was in a playoff game, and I think maybe yeah. today is the day uh, he passed oh. away. You know, he came out oh. of Duke, and the guy was an academic All-American. And uh, I wouldn't have thought of that. Yeah, he, I wouldn't either. I mean, but uh, it was in 1971 when he smacked that drunk fan. And today, he'd probably get sued for that. He had the big yeah. interception yeah. in Super Bowl five to set up the sure game-winning field goal. Jimmy O'Brien. Yeah. Lassie. <laughs> yeah, Mike Curtis was a great one. Oh, yeah, no yeah. doubt. Gonzalo, we appreciate it. If you'll hang on okay, the line. Thanks. Hang on the line, Eric. You're welcome. Eric will get job, your information, Gonzalo. and um, we'll send you out there, and you can eat and drink $30 worth on us. All right, Ronnie O and Coach Joe will be back next Thursday night, 8 o'clock Eastern Standard Time.